0: You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. If you're new here, we want to say welcome to you. Uh, My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here at the Vine, and it's a joy. Uh, I'd love to meet you. People around you would love to meet you. If you're new this morning, we just want to say welcome to you. We have been in a series about the life of David, and it spans the books of 1 Samuel to 2 Samuel. And in light of this morning in baptisms, our time is a little shorter, and so what I thought we would do this morning is do something a little different. Take a little bit of a detour from the storyline that we're trying to follow in David's life through First and 2 Samuel. But today, I'm going to preach through Psalm 57. Psalm 57, and according to our headings in our Bibles, at least my Bible, maybe your Bible has it too. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the back tables. Feel free to take that if you don't own one. Um, But in my heading in in, in, uh, Psalm 57, it says that David wrote this when he was on the run from King Saul, and that's exactly where we are in our preaching series. David is on the run from King Saul. And if you're new, let me bring you up to speed. So David was anointed as a young boy, the new, the next king of Israel. Saul was currently king, but the God's word came to Samuel, the prophet. In the Old Testament, God spoke through prophets. His word came through prophets. And God spoke to Samuel and he said, David is going to be the next king. And so he anointed him But that doesn't mean that he comes into his reign yet. It's just a promise for the future. And so the short version of the story is that Saul is currently the king, and he hears that David has been anointed the next king, and he hates God's word, he hates God's promise, and he's crazy jealous, and he tries to murder David many times. So much so that David's on the run. He's a fugitive. And Saul and his minions, they want David dead. And so he's hiding in the wilderness, desert places, caves. And that's what we read about in 1 Samuel 21 through 23. But today, because our time is short, I thought we would look at the more emotional and prayerful side of David that comes out in his language in the Psalms. So like I said, we believe he wrote Psalm 57 when he was on the run and hiding because Saul wanted to kill him. But what we're going to see this morning is real emotions. We're going to see David's trust in God. We're going to see David's desires, even in the midst of this crazy trial. And in this scene from David's life, we learn how we too can cry out to God in our suffering, in our trials. So let's take a look. Turn with me to Psalm 57. If you're new to your Bible, it's probably very close to the center. Psalm 57. I'm just going to read it, and then we'll walk through it verse by verse. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake my glory, awaken, O harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. So how do you pray When you're at this level of distress, when people are trying to kill you, when people want you dead, when there's a price on your head, when they're hunting you down for the sake of your demise. Now, most of us in this room, hopefully, will never have to face that type of scenario. I don't personally know anyone who's had to face that kind of a scenario where someone literally wants to kill you. But I have no doubt that a softer version of that is true in all of our lives. Deep accusations. Some sort of difficulty in life where we feel like we might collapse under the weight of it. How do we pray in times like this? How do we talk to God in times like this? Well, let's take a look. Look at verse 1. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. It's so obvious we can miss it. Who is David talking to? Who's the center of his attention? Like, if I put myself in David's shoes, I might think that, you know what I'd probably do? Is to try to find Saul, try to talk him off the ledge, try to talk him off his intensity, try to negotiate with him. I would, like, maybe put Saul as, like, forefront in my vision. But that's not what David's doing. He's talking to God. He's asking God, for mercy. What does that mean? That means that he knows that ultimately God is in control, not Saul. See, it's easy for us when we get under extreme stress like this. This is probably one of the most stressful kind of scenarios a human being can face. You all in this room, myself included, have faced really stressful things. If not, it's just a matter of time. Oftentimes our first impulse is under the weight of this kind of stress is to control the situation. I want to be the best problem solver I can. But David shows a first impulse, real simple, easy to miss, goes against our default settings, is I'm just going to go to God. May God and his promises be so much larger than the threats, than the accusations, than my problem. See, David knows that ultimately God is in control. What, is this, what does the proverb say? Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart, including Saul's heart, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. See, in the midst of this gut-wrenching scenario of Saul trying to hunt him down and kill him, he turns his focus to the Lord. Look at what he says, second half of verse 1. Look at it. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. This is just a metaphorical language of the presence of God. The protection of God. David is thinking, if God were to spread his wings over me like a mother bird to her chicks, I would be safe. He knows that he needs more of God and less of Saul in his vision in this deep time of anguish and struggle. He continues, verse 2. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Did you see it again? The same theme? Who's in control? Whose purpose? God's purpose. Who fulfills his purpose for me. See, Saul had a purpose for David's life. That's to snuff it out, right? But David knows that no one can touch him without God's permission. Unless the Lord wills it. If the Lord wills it, it will happen. If not, it won't. There's a repeated refrain in the Gospel of John. It's very poignant. And there were people that wanted to kill Jesus. And it's just about on every page there's opposition, similar to Saul versus David. There's people, the religious leaders, that were plotting to kill Jesus. And over and over, John reminds the readers of the book of John that he would always evade them because, quote, it was not yet his time. It says that multiple times in the book of John. They could not capture him. They could not seize him because it was, quote, not yet his time. And then finally, in the book of John, it says, Jesus' time had come. And then he turns towards Jerusalem and he goes to fulfill his mission. See, God has complete sovereignty over our lives. And he will fulfill his purpose for us. And David knows that full well. His life is ultimately in God's hands, not in Saul's hands. And because he knows that, and he hears God's word, and he trusts God's word, he could say what he says in the next verse. Look at verse three. He, God, will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Now this is a beautiful prayer of confidence, right? Now why can David have this confidence? Because of God's promise to him. Samuel already spoke. Samuel already said, David, you're going to be king. Samuel's like, the prophet, thus saith the Lord, David is going to be king. That's God's word. That's God's promise. And David shows that he trusts God's word here. will send from heaven and save me. Now, this is true of us as well. God has not promised that any of us will be king. That was God's specific word, particular word, for David in a certain time and place. But God has made amazing promises all throughout his Bible because Jesus has died for our sin, raised from the dead. And those promises, like, I will provide for you. Like, I am with you, Matthew 28. Like, all authority has been given To me, go and make disciples of all nations, for I'm with you always to the very end. That's a promise. John 10 says that no one can snatch out of Jesus' hand those who are his. That's a promise. So in the same way, we can have deep confidence like David shows us here in, in the promises of God. But now David takes a turn. Look at verse four. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. So what is David doing now? He's acknowledging the intensity of the situation. He's honest about the problem. Like sometimes we can gloss over, certain of us, among us, can gloss over the severity of a situation. And we maybe just, for whatever reason, want to diminish, downplay, no, everything's fine. How are you doing? No, I'm I'm fine. No, I'm fine. Right? But David models for us that it's okay to confess to God the reality of the situation. You don't have to diminish it. You don't have to dismiss it. That doesn't mean that you don't trust God. It's just pouring your heart out to God. Like you see all throughout Psalms, when there's a a, a weight of a scenario like this, crashing in on someone, very often you see this repeated theme over and over again, trust in God and honest emotions with God. At the same time, mingled perfectly together. God, I trust you, this is really hard. God, I trust you, how long will the wicked rule and reign? God, I'm feeling the heat of the situation, but I know that you're with you, that you're with me, and I trust you. Like that's a good way to pray. That's a good way to pray. Let the psalms be your language when you find yourself in situations like this. Verse 5, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. This is verse 5, and, and he repeats it again in verse 11. It's Just another way of saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's like David is saying in the midst of the chaos of his own heart in this psalm, when someone's hunting him down, More than anything, he's preaching to himself and saying out loud, he knows what's best for him and for the whole world is for God to get glory for himself. Like for God to be worshiped, cherished, desired, like David is modeling here that he knows that even if his life is taken from him, what people need most is not his life, they need God's life. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Not me and my kingdom. That's not what's most important here. It's it's your will, your glory over every square inch of this creation. That's what he's saying. That's how he's helping to orient his heart in the midst of the chaos. But then he goes back to the emotions. Look at verse 6. You just see this kind of vacillating between, here's the truth, here's my emotions. Here's the truth, here's my emotions. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way. They have fallen into it themselves. This is emotionally complex, is it not? We we are like this too, right? Aren't we? Like I've faced some really challenging scenarios in my 47 years and there are times when I'm when I have been fixated on God's goodness and I and I trust him there's other times though when I feel like the reality of the situation just this close to, to swallowing me up and David he models this human experience God I trust you there fi- Threat feels very real. God, I trust you. Their, their threat feels very real. But ultimately, he, he ends with this, God, I trust you. My hope is in you and you alone. Look at verse 7, 8, 9, and 10. My heart is steadfast, oh God. My heart is steadfast. Another way to, to visualize that would be like, God, I'm clinging to you. Evidenced by what? I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O oh harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. Like, I will worship you until the sun rises all night. I will give thanks to you, O oh Lord, among the peoples. This is going to go global. I want my praise t- for you to be. Global, among the peoples, I will sing praises to you, he says it again, among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. So what's David doing in these four verses? He's just pouring out praise to God. Just pouring out praise to God. Like in some of my deepest moments of anguish in my life, I found great comfort in just what Dave is doing here. He's talking about music. He's talking about singing. I got a playlist on my phone that are some of the most encouraging songs that I know of. And man, that's been just a refuge for me at times of emotional trial and struggle. Just to have melody and lyrics meet. That's what music does for us, you know. It, it, it taps into our emotions in ways that just verbal speaking. Sometimes can't. I think that's part of the reason why God commands us to sing and why he's made us musical creatures. Whether you are tone deaf or not doesn't really matter. Creation just resounds with music. And we're created that way. And the focus of his worship, the focus of our worship in these times of crazy, tumultuous emotions, is verse 10. Look at verse 10. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. The Hebrew word for steadfast love is hased H-E-S-E-D, hesed, And it shows up all the time. Our Bibles translate it steadfast love. And what that means is God's covenant love. God's love that he promises to never leave us or forsake us. A love that doesn't stop, that doesn't give up. It always pursues. It always works for our good. Like this is the kind of love that God promises to you when you turn from your sin and turn to Jesus when you turn away from your good works to save you and turn towards Jesus and his good work given to you as a gift that you trust and treasure by faith. Those who have just simply said to God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I turn to Jesus as my only hope in life and death. When that's true of you, this steadfast love, this chesed love That is David's focus, in verse 10, it it should be ours as well, in the midst of the weight of extreme trial or suffering. Verse 11, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. He says it again, repetition for the sake of emphasis. Verse 5, verse 11. May it be so. Let's pray. God, would you be exalted above the heavens as as high as we could possibly imagine with our finite minds? Would you be exalted that high and that far? Like David, when when we're in the midst of these trials and sufferings, may you be our object of affection. May you be the object of our focus. May you be the object of our worship and our singing so that our hearts can be oriented rightly. Lord, would you help us in this? Thank you so much for how you made a record of this for centuries of how David did this, empowered by your spirit. May we walk in that in the same way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.